Thank you, Mr. Matthew Dickerson, for taking the time to talk to me, as I understand that you have a great deal to do. I'm very grateful for your time, and it is an honour to interview you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Dubbo. Where is your family from? I'm the fourth generation to be in this Dubbo Regional Council local government area, third generation if you narrow it down just to Dubbo. On my father's side, the first generation in this area was someone who settled in then known as Ironbark, now known as Stewarttown, which is on the Sydney side of Wellington, very small village there. He was in the Navy in England and came out to Australia in 1850, presumably to look for gold, not sure exactly why, but I would guess going around that Wellington area there was looking for gold and stayed around that area, Umundri, Dubbo for those four generations. On my mother's side, mum was in Dubbo, and then if you go back a couple of generations before that, it goes back to around the Colli and Gilgandra area. Mum's parents and grandparents were farmers around that area. So certainly four generations on both sides of my parents' family have been around Dubbo or slightly outside that Dubbo, but certainly the Dubbo region. Could you please describe your childhood to our listeners? My childhood was one that I would say was a, a normal happy childhood. I grew up in South Dubbo. I went to school in St. John's Primary, St. John's Secondary. Uh, seemed to be a good, fun childhood. I used to race motorbikes when I was very young, raced BMX bikes, played rugby league, played cricket, just all the normal things, if there's any such thing as normal that you would expect to do. St. John's College in those days only went to year 10, so we had to go from there, the class of year 10 had to go from there out to various schools around the city and certainly further afield. The St. John's College as it was then is in the same building that the Central West Leadership Academy is in now. And the students from year 10 then would go to South High, for example, which is where I went. I lived in South Dubbo, that made sense. Some students went to Dubbo High. Dubbo High no longer exists. The Cultural Centre, Western Plains Cultural Centre, is the same building there where Dubbo High used to be, and then some went over to Delroy. Of course, in those days, Delroy and South High both went to Year 12. There was no such thing as a senior campus. So from Year 10, I went to Year 11 and 12 at South High and finished my HSC there before going off to university. That overall childhood, lots of friends, lots of friends that I'm still friends with to today, so lifelong friends, absolutely, and Dubbo was a pretty good place to grow up. It was safe enough that you could go out on your push bike after school and ride around till dark. Your parents weren't really that worried about you. Of course, you didn't have mobile phones then. Your parents just expected you'd come home before it got dark when you probably got hungry or thirsty and wanted to come home. And I think in general, it was a pretty safe, pretty happy environment. And Dubbo seemed like a big enough city to have the sort of activities and things that we needed here and of course sometimes you'd go off to the big smoke like Sydney and really experience what the big world was like but a pretty generally happy sort of normal childhood siblings I was the youngest of eight so siblings around me learnt lots of good and bad habits from those siblings parents who loved us very much we didn't have much money we made do and you can imagine a family with eight kids in it there was probably a fair bit of that money being spread around just to bring up those eight kids but that didn't really matter. You had a home, you had a roof over your head, and you just enjoyed living. What are some of the highlights from your childhood? I certainly think back on it now, and I think the time I used to spend with my dad was certainly a highlight. My dad was a builder, and I'd go out on building sites with my dad and help. I'm not sure if help was always the right word. Maybe sometimes it was hinder my dad, but certainly dad was always happy to have you along. But some of the family activities were great. We used to have a wood fire 
or wood stove that basically you'd cook your food in a stove that had wood burning it. There was no electricity for our stove and there was no heating in our house. So we had to have wood that would burn in the house, probably terrible for the environment when we look back on it now. But we'd do things like go out into the bush and cut our own trees down and, and basically cut our own wood to bring back in. So getting up in the morning and splitting some wood to bring into the stove to cook your breakfast was one of the things we'd do. That stove was also the same stove that was used to actually heat our hot water. So if you want to have a shower in the morning, you had to have that stove going. So just that time spent with the family was fantastic. Again, I mentioned before I had eight or seven siblings. I was the eighth person, eighth child in our family. So spending time with my big brothers and sisters was always enjoyable. They were always up to various things. So that was a lot of fun. But my friends were fantastic as well. A lot of friends, a lot of memories that we still talk about today, things that we did in those childhoods. Some of them revolved around sport, might have been indoor cricket we might have played. It might have been some normal outdoor cricket or some football. I even played a season of Aussie rules when we got to the stage of rugby league. It went to under 16s and it went to the juniors in rugby league. And I know a few of my friends and myself looked at the juniors and went, wow, those guys are pretty big, they're a bit bigger than us, and there was an under-17 Australian rules competition, so we played a season of Aussie rules, which I found incredibly enjoyable. So all sorts of things like that were real highlights, just the, the fun that you had. I used to enjoy parts of school. There were certain parts of school that I found a bit laborious and seemed to go a little bit too slow for me, but some of the extracurricular activities, I used to do a lot of debating at school. That was always very enjoyable, some of the competitions we went in, and our school for a small regional school, both at St. John's and at South High, we did very well in our debates and made some high levels of those debating competitions. Again, that seemed like something fun to do. And just the love of learning, I think that was something that it was a real highlight for me. Some of the things that I learned at school, I still use them today. Sometimes people think school is very theoretical, but you can learn some of those lessons maybe from teachers or learn some of the concepts that you keep using in later life. So overall, lots of highlights. I can't really describe one highlight only, but just a pretty happy time growing up. Did you enjoy your schooling experience and what made it appealing? I was a little bit mixed with my enjoyment of school. There were some areas that I really loved. I really loved my mathematics. I loved my physics. I I did four-unit mathematics in the HSC. I did two-unit physics, which was all you could do in those days. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have done more of that. And I did computer science, of course, but at that stage, you couldn't actually have computer science count towards your HSC mark. And I looked at my son when he did his HSC and did computer science, and I looked at some of the topics that were studied during his HSN, the project he got to do, and I thought that was fantastic. I would have loved to have done that back when I was doing my HSC. But it was different times then. Computer science was all very new. So I enjoyed some of those things. And some of the things you got to do as part of that, because I showed a liking towards computing, I remember when St. John's got our first two computers, very exciting, we got two Apple computers. And within a few days, I remember being able to program those computers. I wrote a database that then the entire student database was written, or I wrote the database, but entered all the information for that database into that database. That was kind of my job. Now, I'm sure the teachers were quite happy to remove that particular task from themselves, but I loved it. I enjoyed it and loved doing those sort of things. So to me, there were some of those things that I I found very enjoyable. And just the curiosity, I, I think... The, the curious nature that I had, I think that made certain parts of school very appealing. There were other parts I did find a little bit laborious. Again, I wanted to move along at my own pace sometimes, but you had to stay 
with the class pace, you, you weren't really allowed to go ahead and accelerate your learning. I think there's more flexibility with that now, but it, it seemed like you were constantly being held back. And there were some subjects that just seemed to not make a lot of sense to me. That might have been the exact teachers teaching it. It might have been more to do with the syllabus or the way the subject was studied. But there were times that I wanted to learn for the sake of learning and learning for the sake of a set syllabus or set criteria seemed to be constraining in some way. But I I think it certainly was an enjoyable experience overall. A couple of frustrations along the way, but that's life. You need to take up those little things that are good and the things that are bad and and have an experience out of that. What was your favourite aspect of high school? I really think the thing that I loved most about school was the curiosity. I loved the idea of learning new things. I loved the idea of going back and looking at the history of science and the way certain discoveries were made. I remember the plum pudding model of the atom and we all laughed in class when the science teacher told us about the plum pudding model of the atom and the teacher stopped us and said, just remember when this model was the model of the atom, it was the latest, most advanced thinking of the time. You're using the knowledge we have 100 years later to laugh at the premium science of the day. And I sat back and thought about that and thought, wow, it's just such a discovery. And and the scientists of the day thought they had the model right and thought this was the exact model of the atom. We finally understand it. It's all absolutely solved for us, the puzzle is solved for us. Now, we laugh at that now, but when you look back at that, that's that discovery of science. I love that idea that whatever you discover in science can be taken away with another bit of data or some more evidence to contradict what you might have there. And that constant involvement, constant learning, I found that a really enjoyable aspect of school. I mentioned before I used to love my maths, I used to love my physics, I still love the scientific concepts, the way science is put together, and the mathematics, I still do like mathematics. I like the black and white of mathematics. It's yes or it's no, it's right or it's wrong. I used to do things in English where I used to be a bit frustrated sometimes because the teacher would interpret your answer or give you some type of analysis of an answer when I just like the idea of it being black or white. Just the grey area of English sometimes frustrated me. Don't get me wrong, I used to still enjoy my English and used to enjoy writing. I still do a lot of writing now. I write articles. There's one of my articles that goes into 142 newspapers across the nation. So I can at least understand how to construct an essay, if you like. But that sometimes frustrated me a little bit, that whole nature of maybe it's okay, I'm not quite sure. I just like yes or no, right or wrong, and here's why. Did you know what you wanted your career to be when you were young? No, I didn't really know what I wanted it to be. I know I enjoyed those hard sciences, the physics and the maths. I know I enjoyed those. So when I went off to university, I studied science, not really knowing where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And certainly I enjoyed computer science at university. It was very theoretical what we studied in computer science, but it gave you this really solid background on computing so that when I did start some of my technology businesses and computer businesses, that background, that grounding that I had, I think gave me more of that information and background knowledge to allow me to be better with the simple things at the front end rather than having no understanding of that background and that back end. I think I always like to create things. I started my first business when I was in year seven at school. I came up with an idea, started doing some things and realized that I was doing it quite well and people wanted to pay me money. So I kept doing it. And that was just a simple business in screen printing t-shirts. But I was doing designs, screen printing them for myself initially. And then some friends said, that's a really cool shirt. 
where can I buy one of those? And I'd say, well, you can't because I made it. Wow, you made it. Uh, can I get one? Uh, I guess so. I'll go and make you one and charge you some money for it. So I did that to begin with and then realised there was a market there and so I started making more shirts and then started printing shirts for sporting teams, whether it be indoor cricket or netball or a whole range of sporting teams, sporting clubs. Suddenly I had this whole business that I was running out of one of the rooms at my home. My bedroom sometimes was covered in t-shirts that were drying and then waiting to be heat pressed or some of the screens and the inks were out through other parts of the house. So my house became my little production unit, if you like. And then when I finally started to get more serious about that, I actually had to put a DA into council to be able to run the business from my home. And that was a separate process altogether. But I, I think the the whole thing about what I want to do, I think I like the idea of doing something that was creative and not, I don't mean creative so much in an artistic way, but I mean, you're creating something, you're, you're making something happen, you're creating something in the mold that you want it to be. But what that was, I didn't really know. And one of the things that's been good about that is it's allowed me to be flexible as different things have happened. To give you an idea, in 1989, it was announced or it was common knowledge that the entire TV system that we had at the time, the way we received our signals for free-to-air TV, and I might be talking a foreign language there when I start talking about free-to-air TV for students of today, but free-to-air TV used to be VHF, then it was changing over to UHF. So that essentially meant that every household in Dubbo needed to change their antenna from a VHF antenna to a UHF antenna. Now, that mightn't seem like much, but that was suddenly a business model as far as I could see. So I was involved in a little bit in terms of electronics, and I was doing some tinkering around the edges of selling some electronics goods, and that opportunity came along, and I thought, well, there's no one else out there doing that at the moment, so I can create an entire business around this particular installation business, which is what I did, and that flexibility allowed me to create a number of businesses. I've created six businesses over the years of my business career, and just being able to see a hole in the market and jump into that hole using some of the basic principles that I had gave me that flexibility to be able to do that. Why is local government important? I have this firm belief that local government is the closest level of government to the people. You've got state government, obviously, you've got federal government, and then local government. Federal government really deals with large issues and representatives of federal government, there's 150 in the House of Reps across the nation, have got huge areas to cover and it's hard for them to be really close to the ground and know exactly what's going on. State government is certainly a little bit smaller than federal, but still it's very hard for state government representatives to be on the ground and be able to really be aware of what's happening. What I've really enjoyed about local government over the years I've been involved with local government is that you are close to the people you can actually see real direct impact from the changes that you make. You can solve problems at a much smaller level, but see the impact of those. Federal government, you might change tax law that over the next 20 years has an impact on the net wealth of the average Australian. It's pretty hard to see those changes in a direct, relevant view, but also in a very fast view. It's big picture changes that take some time. Whereas local government, you really see the impact of those changes and you really get to connect with people by being able to make things different, make things better, hopefully, for people at that local level. So it does feel like you're very close to the ground, close to people, and you can deliver real results that make a difference in a short period of time. What motivations inspired you to run for council? Well, that's a really good question. One of the things I believe in life is you can complain about the problem or be a part of the solution. 
And if I go back in time a little bit, around 2003, we just had our fourth child. My wife and myself had four children at that stage. And my businesses were going well. I'd already had a few businesses that I'd started over the years. I'd sold a couple off. Everything was going along quite well. But I saw some things happening on council that I was a little bit frustrated and disappointed with. I used to see some infighting with council. I used to see councillors making decisions that I found personally not to be great decisions for the betterment of Dubbo. And I used to talk to some friends about it and I'd have a bit of a, a whinge or a bit of a moan about it. And in the end, I said, well, I know some of these councillors and individually they seem okay. As a group, they're not working for whatever reason. I didn't know why. I wasn't in the inside to know that. But I thought I can complain about this all day long or if I think I can do it better, then I should put my hand up and try and do it better. So when I first stood for council, it was because I thought I could be part of the solution. So I put my hand up at the elections in 2004. I was lucky enough to be elected. The next year I was elected to deputy mayor. And then by 2011, I was the mayor and spent five years as the mayor. In 2016, unfortunately, we had an amalgamation, which I fought hard against. The state government went ahead with about 30 amalgamations across the state. Very disappointing. But that was the end of council one day. I was the mayor one day. We had council in Dubbo and Wellington had their council. And the next day, there was a signature on a piece of paper and that was it. The two councils no longer existed. There was one council. The group of councillors and the two mayors no longer existed. There was an administrator put in to control all of that area. And that was disappointing. And certainly the community, I think, was disappointed. And I personally was disappointed. We sat around and talked to some of the other councillors. I had a little dinner that I organised with councillors from both Wellington and Dubbo. And there were a few tears shed and a bit of disappointment. But we moved on with our lives. And so I did that. I moved on. I went back to one of my businesses, started working in there, did some things with my wife, my kids that I'd been probably too busy to do and spent some time reconnecting there. And as far as I was concerned, that was the end of my council career. The council election in 2017, I decided not to stand for because I had my time in council. I'd put an effort in and I thought that was time to move on and let someone else take over and let them be in charge and hopefully put a great effort in the way that I did. And what we've seen over the last four years has been very, very disappointing. And I still wasn't convinced at the beginning of last year when the elections were going to be held in 2020 to stand for council. But as time's gone on, I got back to that same thing. I wasn't happy with council. I talked to a few friends and said, I'm not really happy with where it's going. And I felt like I was in that same situation as 2003 where I could complain about what was happening. Or if I believed I could be part of the solution, it was time to put my hand up again. So I've done that now. I'm standing for the election in 2021. Hopefully I'll be elected again and can go back in and help get things on the right track the same as I've done once before. And then I'll hopefully do some time there, get things back on track and then retire again and let someone else come along and take over. In your opinion, what is the biggest contribution you have been able to make to the Dubbo region? I would look back at my time as mayor and focus more on that. Now, some other things that I think I've contributed in the Dubbo region as well. I've contributed four children to the Dubbo region. I've contributed a, a happiness level, if you like, for those kids and people that have been associated with us. I've certainly generated a lot of work for employees that we've had in our businesses. My biggest business over the years had over 30 employees at the one time. That was just in one of those businesses. And so you see some of those staff that have gone on to start businesses of their own or have had success in other areas, hopefully because some of the things they've learned through that process. But if I ignore all that for the moment and really just focus on my time in council, there are a few things that I would pick on. And when I look back at that council career, I 
feel like personally there are lots of highlights of that, but a few things I'd like to focus on in terms of the contribution. For a start, when I took over as mayor, there was certainly a lack of confidence in council in general, and I think there were some things that we could do to fix that. And one of the things that I focused on was really communicating better from council to the outside world and from council the councillors group internally with staff and other councillors. And just by changing some of those things, before I became mayor, the community need survey that we had gave a councillor approval rating or satisfaction rating of 40%. By the time I'd been mayor for two years, that had gone to almost 70% and the next survey came out at 70%. So councillor satisfaction rating in the community was at 70%, which I think is a very high number for an approval for anything in a political realm because there are winners and losers sometimes in a political landscape. So that was fantastic because it gave people confidence in council and it certainly projected a more positive image of Dubbo to the outside world. And by doing that, it made Dubbo feel like a much better place to live. It made Dubbo people feel prouder of where they lived. And all of that just helps every individual feel better about themselves, about their day-to-day lives, and that has an impact albeit it might be small, that has an impact on the psyche of every one of those people. So that certainly helped. And I was really focused on this idea of creating a vibrant and regional, sorry, a vibrant regional community in Dubbo. And I believe part of that process, part of that building of confidence, certainly allowed us to create that really vibrant community here in a regional area. We weren't a bush town. We weren't out in the sticks. We were a vibrant regional city. And that's what I wanted us to be. I wanted us to be a city, be a modern metropolitan city and all the things that went along with that. Now, certainly as part of that, there were other things that I created. There was no doubt about some things that I was very proud of in that process. I brought developers and council staff together. We had a mayoral development forum. Hadn't been anywhere else in the state, anywhere else in Australia that I could find. Getting developers and staff and the public into one room together on a regular basis, every three months we did it, allowed people to be more aware and communicate better about some of those developments. So it wasn't the big bad developer or the big bad development staff at council. It was people working together for the betterment of Dubbo. Along those same lines, we created something that was unique with state and federal government. I created a thing called the Mayoral Community Leaders Breakfast. Sorry, I take that back. I created a thing called the Community Leaders Breakfast. And what we did with that was every three months again, we had the state member for Dubbo, the federal member for the area from parks, but obviously was the representative for Dubbo, and the mayor and councillors. And we just set up a barbecue somewhere in the city, whether it be at the Rotunda or in Victoria Park, and we invited the public to come along. And the idea was that all three levels of government were standing there side by side to talk to the community about whatever their problems were. We could not find anywhere else in this nation that did that. And other places in other areas tried to do it, but they could never get all three levels on board to talk and have those regular meetings. So I think that was a really positive thing. I certainly introduced a local... Uh, purchasing policy so that we didn't have a local purchasing policy. We should be looking after our own local businesses first, in my opinion. Tilda O'Rock was an event I created to raise money for Macquarie Homestay. That's now over half a million dollars of money we've raised for Macquarie Homestay. I created the Evo Cities Mountain Bike Series. At the time when that was created, it was the richest mountain bike series in the nation. So lots of these things helped promote Dubbo as a really fantastic place to be and to live. I became chairman of Evo Cities. Evo Cities existed before I became mayor. I was certainly on council when we created Evo Cities, which was a marketing concept for seven inland regional cities. But I became chairman of that and really pushed that, and we were getting fantastic numbers of people who were moving out of Sydney, out to regional areas, including Dubbo, and Dubbo was the number one Evo City. And one of the other things that I did was I created a scheme 
for solar panels that gave people in Dubbo an incentive to put solar panels on the roof of their house. And then we became, as a result of that, a couple of years down the track, we became the number one solar panel connector, rooftop solar panel connector in the nation. 2830 was per capita the number one postcode connector of rooftop solar, which again is fantastic for a whole range of reasons. Lots of things, hopefully, that I've contributed there. Biggest seems like singular, but I've listed off a few things there and I apologise for that, but there are lots of things I get excited about when I look back at some of those things. What are some of the big challenges facing Dubbo today and how do you plan to solve them? Well, unfortunately, one of the things that I see in Dubbo today is one of the problems that I saw in Dubbo in 2003, which is a lot of infighting at council, a lot of headlines around council for the wrong reasons. We want the headlines and the front pages to be how wonderful Dubbo is and why people are moving here and some great stories from individuals in Dubbo achieving fantastic things. Unfortunately, the front page seems to have been soaked up with a whole range of dramas that I won't go into in detail. So I think that is a huge challenge that affects the confidence of people living here. People don't want to live in a town or a city where they feel like it's not a great place to live. And from outside, people don't want to invest, or don't want to move to somewhere where they feel like there's lots of internal troubles. They'll go somewhere else where it all looks a bit rosier. My plan to solve them is really the same plan as I've had back in 2011 when I became mayor and back in 2004 when I first got on council. Let's make sure we gel together much better as a unit. Let's make sure we are really focused on the betterment of Dubbo, not any personal processes that we might have in place that we might be trying to gain things for ourselves make sure we communicate. Communication is really the key to so many things. If we can communicate better, whether we agree or we disagree, the communication is key. And I remember some people used to come along and see me when I was mayor, and we'd be talking about a certain decision of council, and I'd explain to them the decision that was made by council, and explain why that decision was made. And you couldn't always get people happy, because some people had a decision that went the opposite way of the way they wanted. But I always felt gratified when someone would say to me, I don't like the decision you've made, I don't agree with the decision you've made, but I understand why you've made that decision. So you can't expect everyone to agree with you on everything you do. But if people understand, if we've communicated effectively why we've done something, then at least people can understand. And I think that gives people confidence. So it's really about getting back to that open communication, the transparency, and giving people confidence in where we live. That's absolutely vital to being part of a wonderful, vibrant city. What is your vision of Dubbo's future? I've said it a few times and I go back to that same thing. I want to create this vibrant regional community. We have so many advantages over metropolitan areas. Our short commute to work, our better lifestyle, our cleaner air to breathe. You can go for a bike ride in safe places like Tracker Riley, go out and have a run and feel like you're not going to get knocked over by busy traffic. There are so many wonderful things about where we live And on top of all of that, we've got this wonderful, happy attitude from people in general. And there's a poem that I've written, which I'll send through to Mandy. I wrote about Dubbo many years ago, and it really focuses on lots of the wonderful things we've got in Dubbo. But the most important thing is just the happiness level of people here. The the community spirit that we have here is absolutely fantastic. So if we can bottle all that up and let people know about that, I think we've got a really bright future for Dubbo and Wellington. What is the biggest change that needs to happen for Australia to improve and grow? I think at the moment the most frustrating thing I see is that our governments at both state and federal level seem to be stuck in this rut of saying that 
climate change is not really a thing. Climate change is not really happening. And I've had some discussion with friends at coffee shops where they say that climate change isn't real and it's all made up. And, and then they say to me, they don't believe in climate change. And I pick up a spoon from my coffee and I hold it 30 centimetres above the coffee cup and I squint really hard and close my eyes and I say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. And I drop my spoon and it hits the, the table. And I look at my friend and I say, gee, I didn't believe in gravity. So how come that spoon fell and hit the cup? And of course, my friend who's a climate change denier in this example says, oh, well, that's a bit different to climate change. You know, we, we, we've, we've got to work out some other way of, of explaining what's going on. Well, the science is there. It's, it's to me, you go through scientific processes and we've arrived at a conclusion. And until we've got something else that proves it wrong, that is the current state of our knowledge. And so Australia has to accept that. We can no longer keep leaving our heads stuck in the sand or in most cases stuck in a hole that was left by some coal mining. And we are making money out of coal mining at the moment. The big argument put forward by government constantly is we've got coal mining and that's our economic future. But unfortunately, if you keep digging up stuff and keep digging up stuff and keep digging up stuff, you get to the bottom of the hole. And if we get to the bottom of that hole, what do we do then? Or if we keep digging up stuff and people don't want to buy that stuff anymore, which is going to happen, then what do we do? So I think the governments at the moment are just not planning for the next stage. Sure, we're making money out of coal today, but what's next? It's not going to be there forever. Whichever way you look at it, whether it's by world demand, whether it's by climate change, or whether it's because we run out of coal to dig up, you need something to go to next. So for Australia to change, we need to accept that climate change is caused by us and then accept that we need to make change and look at our transition plan. Where do we go to next? We rely on governments to plan for the future. We shouldn't have to have governments catching up and businesses leading the way at the moment. Individuals. I mean, I own three electric vehicles. I don't own any internal combustion engine cars. I've been driving hybrid vehicles since 2005 and electric vehicles, purely electric vehicles, since about 2015 from memory. Might be earlier than that, maybe 2014. So I've made the move. I've got 10 kilowatts of solar panels on the roof of my house. I put LED lights throughout my house 10 years ago. Individuals, businesses are making the changes. Government is holding people back. So for us to really improve and grow, that is the single biggest factor that we need to get our governments to realise and make changes going forward. Thank you for this opportunity. What I will do is I'll finish off, I mentioned before, a poem that I wrote about Dubbo many years ago. In fact, this poem came about very early in my time as mayor. We went to a conference and we had to pitch Dubbo as the place for the conference to be held the following year. And I was told about this a couple of weeks after I became mayor and said, okay, we're going to a conference next week. You've got to give a little speech about how wonderful Dubbo is. And they said, here's a speech we've written for you. I said, no, no, if it's going to be from the mayor, I want to write the speech because it needs to be my words, not your words. And I'm certainly not going to stand on stage and read it. That's hardly going to inspire people to come along to our wonderful city if the mayor can only handle reading something about his city. Surely I know my city well enough. And then I went a step further, and this is maybe one of those crazy ideas that maybe someone should have pulled me up on. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do something different. There's going to be other mayors there presenting their communities, and they're going to be reading from some script on a stage, and that's going to be all very boring. I reckon a poem about Dubbo will really mix it up a bit. And of course, the staff tried to talk me out of it. No, that's a crazy idea. No one wants this to a poem. And are you any good at writing poems anyway? Which I'm not sure I am or I'm not, but I just thought it was going to be different. So I'll read out to you. I won't read out to you because I know the poem off the top of my head. I'll recite to you the poem that I wrote for that particular conference. 
And again, it just gives you a bit of an idea of some of the the thoughts. Poetry is great to encapsulate lots of words into as few as possible, but still convey the meaning. The poem is called The New Dubbo, and it's written by Matthew Dickerson. First, I'd like to acknowledge we live in Wiradjuri Nation, which started 60,000 years before our current population. You may not recognise Dubbo, as it has a new look and feel. My excitement is quite obvious and impossible to conceal. I'm sure you've heard of our zoo, our most popular tourist destination, which is known around the world for its work in animal conservation. Or you can explore penal history at the famous Old Dubbo Jail, where eight ghosts are said to wander. Or is that an old wives' tale? Our sporting fields are second to none, with a carnival every week. The international athletics track will have you running at your peak. Three highways join at Dubbo, making us the gateway to the west. Businesses and developers are both very keen to invest. Schools, TAFE and universities give an educational theme, and the influx of young students has certainly helped our rugby team. Most people assume regionals rely solely on agriculture, but that has all changed as we've discovered a thing called culture. Just to prove the point, we built the aptly named Cultural Centre. The gallery and museum will amaze you when you enter. We have a 500-seat theatre. Of course, the seats are tiered, and the acoustics are spot-on, as it was perfectly engineered. Don't forget our shoyu in Japanese and sensory gardens. We believe they are the best in the state, with no beg-your-pardons. Ride your bike on our river cycleway. Leave your automobile. You can squeeze into your lycra and then show off your bund of steel. But what is unique and will amaze you beyond your wildest dreams is how friendly everyone is, as we all take it to extremes. A compliment here, a wave over there, nothing's too much trouble. Our smiles are so wide, you can see them from Telescope Hubble. You see, we have something that can't be bought. We like to call it time. Our lifestyle is grand, it is great. I normally just call it sublime. You can see we have so much more to offer than just our world-class zoo. And to top it all off, we have a mayor who thinks he's a poet too. Finally, could you tell our listeners one piece of wisdom that you wish you had at my age? Could you tell our listeners one piece of wisdom that you wish you had at my age? I was actually interviewed for a book about 10 years ago. And that was the question. The only question in the book was, what would you give yourself as advice if you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self what to do? So I went back and thought about myself as an 18-year-old and thought about what advice I would give. And it came down to this, a whole range of things and a whole range of piece of information went into it. But then I thought there'd be one simple thing that I would say. And that would be, thank more people more often. And the reason behind that was that you think that you do things, that you create things, that you make lots of things happen. But you don't realise until you get a bit older, there are so many people out there that are helping you get to where you are. As a student at school, you think you're doing all the study and getting great marks in schoolwork or playing sport and getting 
great results on the sporting field, but you don't realise that your parents might be working hard to keep a roof over your head or they might be making dinner for you so you can study hard while someone makes dinner and then you come out and eat your food and then someone does the washing up and all these little things happen. Even when there's an event on and someone turns up at an event and says, wow, that was great, look at that sporting event, I just went and participated in that. But organisers might have worked on that for three months, six months, even longer to make that event happen. And it was only when I got a bit older that I thought all these wonderful things that I was doing were down to what I was doing and probably let your ego run away with things a little bit. But then you sit back and think, wow, there are so many people that help in anything that I've done, anything that I've achieved. There are so many people that help in my current life. It might be my wife and my kids help incredibly. It might be my family members, it might be friends of mine. When I was younger, absolutely, it was my parents and my siblings that helped with so many things that I did. And I acknowledge them. I've written a few books and I acknowledge in one of my books that I was really lucky to grow up in a family where my siblings were incredibly supportive of everything I did. And I have different ideas from time to time. I come up with lots of different thought processes and ideas. But sometimes in those thought processes, I come up with ideas that aren't great. But I still had this supportive family and supportive group of friends who would still encourage me and sometimes steer me down the right track when I needed to be steered, but let me go when I needed to be let go. But all these people help you achieve whatever you want to achieve. And you sometimes forget about them. But that would be the advice I'd give to you. Make sure you look back sometimes and look at who helped you get to where you are and what are the things that were put in place to make it easy for you to get there. Thank you again for taking the time to come and talk to me. I very much appreciate your wise words of wisdom.